So as we kind of reflect on the last couple of years, um, it's been challenging. Raise your hand if it's been challenging. Man, a living. It has been really hard. And as I reflect in, in where we were as a church before and where we are now, it almost feels like this is a different church community. God has, just in the last couple of years, uh, relined us together as a church. I believe that we have grown in depth together. I believe we've grown in maturity together. And we've all experienced a lot of pain together as a church. And what I've seen is that it has brought, not brought in, it has brought us together as, as a church community. And now with the pandemic waning, again, two years have gone by, we've, we've grown in maturity, we've grown in numbers. What we want to do is now be refocused in what God has called us to do. So what we're going to do today is just walk through and reflect on our mission and our vision statements together as a church. And then next week, we're starting a brand new sermon series, and we're talking about grief for about five weeks. It's, uh, I, I've been preparing for it, and it's been very challenging, but I, I think now that we're gone through the pandemic, but the world is still in, in turmoil around us, and I think the world will always be in turmoil, unfortunately, until Jesus returns, I think it's important that we take some time and we learn grief. I think a lot of us sweep grief under the rug, and we view grief as a bad thing, and we view grief as something that's not holy and something that won't draw us closer to God, and we avoid it at all costs. So what we're going to do is take the next five weeks and walk through some, some of the laments of Scripture, lamentations. Uh, Jeremiah writes lamentations. We're going to walk through Jesus's words on, on grief and, and some other stories in the Bible. So make sure you join us for that, or subscribe to our YouTube channel, and follow us on, online. So as we reflect, and it's going to be take a step back, last two years, craziness, uh, turmoil, what, what, I, what I love to see and, and what has happened is that we as a church, again, have come together, and kind of the motto of when the pandemic hit, and really since what I, when I started at Liberty Christian Church about five years, is we will do whatever it takes to reach people with the message of Jesus. And when the pandemic hit, man, it was incredible. We had no live streaming presence whatsoever. No internet presence for, I mean, every, every once in a while. I think we live streamed one time for when there was a snowfall or something like that for the one time a year that it happens in Oregon. But other than that, no live stream presence. And when the pandemic hit, obviously our auditorium is not the largest. Social distancing was a challenge. And we have a team of volunteers of about 25 people. And so if you would imagine, we could have had about two people come to church a week with social distancing with our volunteer team. So we had to completely relearn everything and switch everything to live stream with the incredible help of some incredible volunteers, Mr. Steve Vincent and Igor Rosetsky back there, some of our elders. Good job, you guys. In a matter of days, we just, whoosh, and then I was preaching to a camera and an empty auditorium for a long time. At the very beginning, the youth team put a bunch of stuffed animals in here, so I was preaching to, you know, stuffed animals, and you guys on the other side of the, of the internet. But the, the mentality was, whatever it takes. In the middle of a pandemic, we have church in a baseball stadium parking lot. That's kind of, it's kind of nuts to do something like that though, isn't it? 
It's like, hey, whatever it takes. We got a small auditorium. We got to do something. They gave us a deal. So let's go have church in a baseball stadium parking lot. And it was the largest service we have had in the last decade or so, probably at Liberty Christian Church. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? We did, we did outdoor church in the backyard for like three months long in these social times because we couldn't have church inside and the spread of the virus and all these things. We, we went to Riverfront Park and had a service down there. And we're going to do it hopefully again this year. It was one of the greatest outreach events I think we've ever had as a church. A lot of people walking by, we're passing out snacks, we're passing out drinks, we're playing music together. It was just a ton of fun. And our mentality has been, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to do what? Well, to follow in our mission. What is our mission as a church? It's simply this. We want to help people experience, everybody say experience, We want to help people experience the gospel and live it out. Now, we use this word experience on purpose because it's not just about behavioral modification. Some people think, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus now. I go to church now. It means I don't drink alcohol. It means I don't smoke. It means I have no tattoos. It means I wear a button shirt and zip it up on Sunday mornings and, 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 and cross my T's and dot my I's and I live a perfect life. That's not what it's about. I won't take the turtleneck away, but that's not what it's about. It's not just about behavioral modification. It's, it's literally an experience, a, a, a spiritual transformation in your life where your priorities shift and it no longer revolves around you and your glory, but now it shifts to God and and his glory. A spiritual transformation, an experience. One of my favorite examples in scripture of this is in the book of Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. It's going to be on the screen or you can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app on your smartphone. So Peter is preaching this killer message to a lot of people. Now, these people had probably been following Jesus for the tenure of his ministry, the last three years. I am sure they would have at least heard about Jesus's miracles. I'm sure they would have known about Jesus's death. And so they they had some probably knowledge of Jesus and his teachings, but they had yet to experience the fullness of of the gospel, the experience, the the spiritual transformation. And that's what we get to see people experience in Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 38. So Peter ends his amazing sermon and he says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, he's talking to these people, to be both Lord and Messiah. And it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here's this group of Peter, uh, people that Peter is preaching to. Again, they had some knowledge of Jesus. And you think about people in your life, most people, actually, I would say in, in new Gallup surveys, the next generation coming up have almost no knowledge of Jesus. One time, so we have some neighborhood kids uh, that get out of Sprague and they play basketball in the back. That's when we move the basketball hoop over here, if you didn't notice. And every once in a while, I'll go out there and shred the court with them. And AKA, I mean, I have beat them a handful of times. I don't want to brag too much. 
just kidding. They're not that good. But anyway, so <laughs> I'm just taller than they are. They're really, some of the guys are pretty good. But anyways, I'm playing with these kids, and a couple of times I come out and I buy them pizza sometimes and bring them soda and, and just hang out, build relationships with these students. And one time I came out, again, these guys have no knowledge about church and stuff, and I'm playing with them, and some kids were cussing or something like that. And another kid was like, quiet. That's the owner of the church over there. And I said, I don't own the church, really. I mean, I'm just... I'm just a pastor, you know, but they, they have no knowledge, right? Uh, but these people Peter's teaching about, they had some knowledge, and there's a lot of people in our lives that have some knowledge. You say, do you know who Jesus is? And they're like, well, he, prob- he died, right, on, on the cross, you know, and, and he, people say he was resurrected from the dead, and he teaches good things and, and good moral values. So people have some understanding. That's what uh, happened in, in these people that Peter's preaching to so they have some understanding, but there's still not this spiritual transformation. And so then when, when Peter's just railing them with the gospel, something shifts in their life. They understand now it's not just about behavioral modification. The Holy Spirit works within them, and now there's this beautiful spiritual transformation, so much so that they're like, what do I do now? That's a good day in the church, isn't it? When people come and they say, what do I do? I want to follow Jesus. I want to give my life to him. What what do I do? Peter says, repent of your sins. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, which our man Johnny Dubs, John Watson is today, for the forgiveness of your sins. Be baptized in the name and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they have this experience. Now, this is just the beginning of the journey, isn't it? There's, There's no way in your spiritual walk where you've like reached this this point where you, you have a full understanding of everything and you're just, everything is going great in your life. <laughs> what we're talking about as, as church partners, we have some of you walking through the church partner course right now, and the whole concept is we want to gain dependence on the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, to gain dependence on the Holy Spirit takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of pain. It takes a lot of discipline. To, to learn to rely not on others, not on me as a pastor or elders, even the church, rely on the Holy Spirit in your life. And then even church shifts, and instead of coming to church and saying, what can I get out of that? You come to church and you say, what can I give to this? And worship begins to be something that's not what do I get out of this, but more what do I give to God in, in this? Amen. And so they have this, this spiritual experience and like, brothers, what should we do? It's an experience. Changes their life from, from the inside out. Later on, so Peter, who preached that message to this group of people, he, he writes a letter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, and he says this. He says, in your life, get rid of all evil behavior. Everybody say, evil behavior. Get rid of it, Peter says. Follow Jesus, you get, you get rid of this. He says, be done with all deceit. Be done with all hypocrisy, be done with all jealousy, and be done with all unkind speech. Everybody say, unkind speech. speech. Say, be done with it. Say, I'm done with it. Say, I'm out. All unkind speech. Doesn't matter to which political party you're talking about. All unkind speech. Doesn't matter if it's a political leader. All unkind speech. Peter says, Get rid of it. He says in verse two, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. 
cry out for this nourishment now that you have a taste of the Lord's kindness. This experience. Now, it doesn't always happen like we see in, in the movies. In fact, it doesn't always happen like we read in, in Acts chapter 2. I mean, that's, it was like everything was in the perfect moment. These people, they saw Jesus, they saw his miracles, they heard of his teachings, they saw him in real life, they knew of his death and his resurrection, they were primed and ready to experience the gospel. But in our lives today, that's not often how it works, sometimes. Maybe sometimes you share Jesus with someone and they're like, boom, right there. I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to pursue Jesus. But again, not often. It's over a long period of time and it is through relationship. Building trust with people who don't know Jesus. Again, we want, people to help, we want to help people experience the gospel. And the second part of that is, again, we want to live it out ourselves. Build relationships with people who don't know Jesus. That's why I play basketball with these kids. None of them know Jesus. I guarantee that. But I've been able to, to build relationships with them. And ultimately, my goal is to share the love of Jesus with them. Does that mean their lives can be changed forever? They'll have this spiritual transformation? I don't know. But that's not my responsibility. My, God, my job is to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in the community where God has called me. Because typically what happens is the, the Holy Spirit slowly works within our hearts. I mean, that's what it was like for me. I don't know for you. There's like, okay, I, I grew up in church and I walked away and there's still like this feeling like maybe, maybe I'm supposed to do this and maybe there's this thing called church that's important and maybe Jesus is real and maybe this is important or maybe it's not. And the Holy Spirit slowly just molds your heart and, and pulls you along until you are, are ready to receive the Holy Spirit. Again, these people have been following Peter They've been following Jesus. They had some understanding. And then Peter's words are what pushed them over the edge. It's relationship to help people experience the gospel and live it out ourselves. I've been meeting with someone who I've been walking through and counseling appointments, and they're going through some really hard stuff in their life. Not a, not a believer of Jesus, to my knowledge. We don't really know for anybody. So even those kids, maybe some of them know Jesus. I don't know. Uh, but this, this person I've been meeting with, they... They don't have an understanding of Jesus. Now, first time I, I met with him, I was like, I, I was praying to the Holy Spirit, God, give me opportunities. And I've been meeting with him for about four or five months. And then just a couple of weeks ago, I, I felt like I had a relationship built. We had some, some trust there. And we're talking about value. And I just said, where do you receive your value from? And they looked at me and they're just like, what do you mean? I'm like, you know what? Your well-being, like your the joy, like where, where do you receive your value from? Oftentimes in our culture, where do we receive our value from? Typically our work, uh, maybe our, our family. Say, that's what, my family's going well. Then I feel important. Then I feel like my life's going well. Or if I'm really wealthy and successful in my business, that's where things are going well. But what if they don't go well? So if all your value is tied, is, is tied up in, in what you produce, like that's kind of a variable. What if that declines? Then you're just gonna feel like you're nothing. You're, you're, va- you're worthless. And so I said, where do you receive your value from? They said, I, I don't know. I said, let me, let me talk to you about something. Do you believe in God? And they said, I mean, I, I think there's a God. Yeah, I, th- I believe in God. I said, what do you know about Jesus? He said, well, I died and resurrected, something like that. I said, well, check this out. I think that you're made in the image of God. And I believe God sent his son to die on the cross for you 
and he defeated death, so your value is not found in, in what you do. Your value and our value is not found in, in what I produce. It's found in who you are, and you are made in the image of God, and so your value is found in him. In Jesus and his death and his resurrection. Now, there wasn't this like spiritual experience that wasn't like, oh, praise Jesus, but I could just see the, the wheels in their minds start turning like, maybe this is right. Again, it's not our job to force anybody to believe anything. I don't know if you've tried that. I don't know if you've had kids before. You can't force anybody to do anything almost. One of my kids is in service. I love you very much, man. You're a great daughter. You're... <laughs> She's waving at me. But you can't force anybody to do anything. Our job is to coach, right? To, to guide, to to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to say, I, my life was changed by Jesus. There was a time when my value was found in what I produced, and I was just constantly depressed and angry because it was never enough. It's never enough. So to help people experience the gospel, again, it's, it's over time. That's our mission as a church. That's where we're leaving all on the field. We're doing whatever it takes to help people experience the gospel and live it out. Everybody say, live it out. Say it again. Live it out. This is important. This is very, very important. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, he says this. This is Jesus' half-brother. He says, but don't just listen to God's word. Everybody say, do what it says. It's so simple. Sometimes it's so simple, and we as Christians overcomplicate things. And what about this situation? What about this? Well, what, is, what does it say? Treat people with respect. Stop being unkind towards people. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Is that what you're living out? Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and self-control. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. How many times have we heard as followers of Jesus in the culture we exist in today, I stopped going to church because it was full of a bunch of all the time. And honestly, they are right. They're right. So that's why our mission, experience the gospel and live it out. We want to begin to shift the narrative instead of people looking at people in the church and being like, oh, that's just a bunch of hypocrites. They say this, but they act this way. We want to say this and act this way. We want to be kind. We want to hold each other accountable. We want to shift the narrative. That's not saying that we won't make mistakes. Raise your hand if you make mistakes on a consistent basis. There's revival in the church. Look at that. People are coming to Jesus. We make mistakes, but when we do, we will do it with humility, and we won't sweep it under the rug as painful and as hard as that is. If we make mistakes, we're honest about it. We experience forgiveness. We walk through the pain. We will say no to church politics. Can I get a hallelujah? And we'll say yes to Jesus instead. Here's the temptation with church politics. This is mostly what happens within church bodies. There, there, there's entities, and, and then people say, oh, it's been this way for so long, this, and there's, can, there can be a lot of conflict in that. And I believe to follow in our mission together as a church, to help people experience the gospel and live it out, we have to be prepared to lose what we have for the sake of what might be. Thinking of all of the hundreds and hundreds of people in our community who don't know Jesus. I don't think we can cram them in this auditorium, if I'm honest with you. 
<laughs> we can't fit them. So we got to think about these things. If we truly believe that we want to help people experience the gospel and live it out, that means we should, over time, be growing numerically. It's not saying it's all about numbers. What we say as pastors, numbers don't matter to God, but people do. And so, of course, we want to grow numerically. We want people to come to faith in Christ. We want to disciple people effectively. Absolutely, we do. To have, again, this, this shift, we have to be prepared to lose what we have for, for what could be. We want to prepare and move forward and, and learn what it means to be emotionally and spiritually mature. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. He says, prove, this is one of my favorite verses. I have it on my computer. It says, prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and you have turned to God. Highlight this if you've got it. Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. This would be a great one to get a tattoo of because it's just right there, right? <laughs> right on the chest, right there. Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and you have turned to God to God. That is experiencing the gospel and living it out. You can't have one without the other. We want to shift the narrative. People don't think about church people as, oh, those hypocrites. Those are the most loving, forgiving people I've ever met in my life. But they sure hold each other to a really high standard. Why are we doing this? Why are we so passionate about this mission to help people experience the gospel and live it out. Well, that, that leads to our, our vision, the why. The why we do what we do as a church, and that's simply this, to be a movement of Jesus in the Willamette Valley and beyond. Everybody say movement. We define movement this way, sharing Jesus through intentional relationships that bring people from spiritual death to life and teaching them to do the same. Let me repeat that. This is our definition of movement. People say, what is, what is this movement? Well, it's sharing Jesus through intentional. Everybody say intentional. This is the key. Sharing Jesus through intentional relationships that bring people from spiritual death to life and teaching them to do the same. And our vision is what brings us together as a church. This is where we're, we're headed. This is where we, what we move towards. It's our commonality together as, as a community. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5 says this, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate that make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose? Obviously, that goes into the glory and the honor of God and Jesus and what the vision that God has given us as a church is to be a movement, the movement that he has called us to be. doesn't mean we agree on every single little thing, but it means we agree on the important things, and the important things are being a movement of Jesus, helping people experience the gospel and live it out. And live it out. My passion is in 25 years, I will be, I don't want to do, I, I'm a pastor, I do math, what, 55, almost 60 years old, something like that. Over 25 years, I want to be able to pass this church off to the next generation as a thriving church body of people coming to Jesus, of baptisms happening on a consistent basis, of a place where people can gather for future generations to come. Because the fact of the matter is this. 
You are the movement of Jesus. Let me repeat those words. You are the movement of Jesus. You are the temple of God. You are the stones of the temple. So in the passage we read in 1 Peter, he continues. So he says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into, again, a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment so that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You're coming to Christ who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He is rejected by people, but we was chosen by God for great honor. And here it is in verse 5. You are, church, he's speaking to the church, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are, church, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. You are the temple of God. You are the city on a hilltop. You are the movement of Jesus. And if you don't move, there will be no movement. Let me repeat that. If you do not move, there will be no movement of Jesus. This is my conviction, that a movement of Jesus doesn't just magically happen. We're not just sitting here doing the same old, same old, sitting on our couch, flipping through Netflix, and it's like, boom, all these people are coming to Jesus, and it's like, whoa, right? We have to be pursuing God and his vision for our church. Pursuing means moving towards him, not sitting back, not, uh, you know, moving towards him, constant movement. You are the temple of God. If we don't move, there will be no movement. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the spirit lives in you? You are the temple of God. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, one of my favorite verses, Isaiah says, I heard the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then Isaiah says, here I am, send me. He's pursuing God because of it. There's this movement. You are the movement of Jesus. If we want to see a movement, if we want to see people experience the gospel and live it out, we have to do the second part of that mission, and that is simply to live it out. You can't just be sitting on your couch and be like, all right, God, we're ready. Let's do this. It's pursuing, giving, uh, building opportunities in your life to share the love of Jesus. God will do the work if you are pursuing him. Again, pursuing him means you are moving towards him. Now, this work is hard. You know why? Because it takes work within yourself. Let me repeat that. It takes work within yourself. It takes spiritual maturity. It takes vulnerability. It takes pain, growth, years of deep emotional work, blood, sweat, and tears. But we're going to leave it all on the table. We're going to leave it all on the table. Let me tell you what I mean by leaving it all on the table and vulnerability and, and pain and growth. 
We have to be prepared as a church community to be a movement of Jesus, to be the ones that take the first step. What does that mean? It means there may be a lot of conflicts that you've been avoiding in your life, that you've been sweeping under the rug and like, oh, it's just detachment, we call it. You've gone through a conflict and something like that, and you just kind of forget about it. Just, you let it go away. And you just, it kind of festers in your mind sometimes. Maybe you didn't end well with a friend or a relative. How many of you have family drama in your life? Some of you, maybe. We like to sweep these things under the rug and just maybe it'll get better. But the problem is it still takes a lot of real estate in your mind. It doesn't go away. It doesn't allow you to grow in dependence on the Holy Spirit. To take a step out of faith, a calling into the deep where God is calling you. To gain more reliance upon, upon him. We avoid hard conversations. We avoid things, all my people pleasers in here. <laughs> we avoid grief and we avoid pain. We will not be a movement of Jesus if we don't learn how to deal with these things in a godly way and taking the first step. That is what a movement of Jesus is all about. So I've been meeting with a leadership coach, fancy way for a counselor, I guess. And we've been walking through you know, my life story. And you guys have heard my story, for those of you that have been here for a little while, and I had a lot of family drama as a teenager. My parents got divorced. My dad ended up moving to Portland and then Las Vegas, uh, got remarried. My mom still lived in Salem. And my mentality was, I'm done with it. I'm going to move on with my life. Again, I, even as a, a young man that I experienced the gospel, I got reinvested into church, and I gave my life back to Jesus as a 19-year-old, as a and I went off to Bible college. Still, my mentality is, I don't want to deal with that stuff. What's that all about? I don't want to deal with the pain that that's going to bring me. So we sweep it. We, we avoid it at, at all costs. And sometimes we say, I'm, I don't want to take the first step. I, I want apologies from, in my, in my case, I want apologies from my father. That's what I want. Maybe we'll, we'll work on something, I'll get an apology, and then we'll, something will happen. But it never happened. So I've been working with my leadership coach. And this is now, I'm 32 almost. Uh, so uh, just over 10 years, got married in 2012, and I still swept. I don't want to deal with that stuff. It's complete cutoff. That's what we do as humans. We try to avoid our problems. We cut them off. We, we move on instead of allowing the grief and the pain to draw us closer to God and being who God made us to be. And so my dad was visiting this past weekend. And in working with my leadership coach and in, in prayer, God said, Stephen, you need to take the first step. This is what a movement of Jesus is. That, my friends, is a, a, a step out into the deep the thing that you've been avoiding most in your life, the family drama, the conflicts in your life with your coworkers or your neighbors, they just I'm just so, I'll deal with it later. We have to deal with it in a spiritual and emotionally healthy sense. And so I'm having pizza. He's going back to the airport right now, but we're having pizza last night with all my family. Everybody's running around, and the Holy Spirit within me is like, Stephen, this is your opportunity. So we're sitting there at the table, and I turn to my father and I say, Dad, 
I want to say I'm sorry. The last 10 years, I haven't been the greatest son. I want to say I'm sorry that I haven't called you a lot and I've been avoiding you. I want to say I'm aware of this and I'm working on becoming a better person. And you know what's incredible? When I had that conversation with him, he said, you know what, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry for the way things went down with your mom and with all this stuff and I, I, it, was, it was not okay for me to do what I did and, and all these things. And you know what's interesting? The apology I've always wanted happened when I took the first step. When you change yourself in the system, change inevitably happens. It might not be the change that you want it to be, but that's not the point. The point is, you are who God has made you to be. And my friends, this is what a movement of Jesus is all about. Becoming who you were made to be in Christ. To allow other people to experience the gospel and living it out. That is a terrifying thing to do. It's a terrifying thing to deal with hardships and, and emotions and family conflict and working conflict and coworker conflict head on in an emotionally healthy way. And being who you are, not being who you want others, who, what, not being what others think that you should be. Being who you are. This is why we're leaving it all on the table. We don't want to just check out and coast. We have to be willing to take really deep and emotional steps out into the deep. And I want you to know what you do here matters. We don't talk about financial giving a lot here. There's a box back there, and we have online giving. But your financial gifts in this church community, they matter. You volunteering, it matters. It makes a difference. You inviting your friends to church matters. You being a light in your workplace matters. You using your gifts within the church, it matters. Taking the next step in your spiritual maturity matters. Getting baptized matters. It all pushes us towards Jesus and this movement that we talk about a lot. Again, we want to see a, a shift in the narrative. No more the church is full of hypocrites. The church is full of people that are radically pursuing Jesus. Movement starts with us. Movement starts with you. And it starts with taking really bold steps in your walk with Christ.